Hello, hello, my Liberty Kitty Cats, and welcome to a very special episode of Lions of Liberty. You will soon be hearing the very first of our Lions of Liberty Libertarian presidential debate series in just a moment. But first, I want to tell you a little bit about our friend Dan Smots and his podcast, The System is Down. Dan actually did the graphics uh, for these debates we're doing, uh, today's debate as well as the second debate that is airing on Friday or airing live on our Facebook page on Friday. But Dan does a little something else in his free time. He also has his own podcast called The System is Down. And Dan's a weird guy. He likes to talk about weird things. He is also a libertarian, so he comes at a lot of things from a very libertarian angle. He even hosted his own libertarian debate with, I believe, 12 candidates the other week. You got to check that one out as well. But he gets into the weird stuff. He gets into conspiracies. He gets into philosophy. He gets into all sorts of fun stuff and you enjoy the kind of stuff we talk about here, especially the kind of stuff we talk about on some of our bonus shows like Conspiracy Corner. You're going to absolutely love The System is Down. So please do check it out at tsidpod.com. Welcome to the Lions of Liberty podcast. Here's your host, your guide, your shining beacon of liberty, Mark Clare. All right, gang, we are here for uh, the historic very first of the 2020 political season, Lions of Liberty Libertarian Party presidential debate. Unfortunately, we are not live on Facebook right now, uh, as you might know if you're one of the people who is trying to watch live, but uh, this will be released as the podcast. This will be released on our YouTube channel. I'm very excited to host this debate. We're doing two this week. Uh, Hopefully, number two does actually stream live, as was the plan. But for now, I'm going to bring in the candidates. Before I do, I want to mention I also have my uh, my co-host, Brian McWilliams here, who's steadfastly working behind the scenes on some tech issues, and he'll, he'll be joining us for some questions a little bit later on. But first, I want to just introduce quickly all of the candidates. We've got Judge Jim Gray. We've got Jacob Hornberger. We've got Serene Ardiliano. I hopefully I said that right. Uh, Andy Williams, Vermin Supreme, and Joe Jorgensen. I am so pleased to have you all here. We're going to get into things really quickly. But before we get started, there's one thing I always have to know and confirm with my guests before we get rolling on these things. I got to know, guys. Are you ready to roar? Herman was more ready than the rest of us. All right, I'm going to briefly run over the rules real quick. Looks like uh, we we have a special guest here as well. Um, Just going to briefly go over the rules real quick. Each candidate will get a two-minute opening statement to introduce yourselves and present the case for why you should represent the Libertarian Party as its presidential candidate. Uh, Each round, candidates will answer questions in a different, completely random order. You will receive 90 seconds for each answer, and you will hear a bell indicating when you have 10 seconds left, it will sound like this. Uh, If a candidate's name is mentioned critically, that candidate will have 30 seconds to respond to the criticism after the completion of the answer in which they are mentioned. And the final round before the closing statement will be uh, allowing each candidate to pose a specific question to one of their opponents in this debate. Candidates will receive the same 90 seconds to respond as with the previous question, uh, while the candidate who asked the question will also be allowed a 30-second rebuttal if they so choose. Lastly, each candidate will receive a 90-second closing statement to summarize their case for their nomination as the Libertarian Party presidential candidate. And with that being said, I will turn over to my very randomized list for the introductions. The very first person to receive a two-minute introduction, we will start with Miss Serene Ardilianu. So I am running for president of the United States because I don't have a choice. 
I knew about 20 years ago that I was going to be running. And even though I tried to resist it and deny it, about 10 years ago, I began preparing. And what I'm talking about is learning how to navigate life, understanding natural laws. See, I come from a very challenging background. I'm an only child of two immigrant parents from two different communist countries. My parents risked their lives for freedom. And so I was essentially raised on libertarian principles. And I didn't realize I was actually libertarian until I started really looking closely at running for office. And I looked at the party platform and I realized, wow, this is actually how I live my life. And I believe others should live their life because it makes sense. And so I'm running because I realize I have something to offer that no other candidate has. And that is that I am able to connect with people, that I am able to help people transform their lives, and I'm able to apply what I've understand about universal natural laws, not just at an individual level, but at a massive scale. I can help people overcome all kinds of adversity from poverty, abuse, addiction, depression, disability, and so forth, because I've been there, because I've overcome all these things in natural and sustainable ways. And so I'm running because I realize nobody else is bringing this, not just to the party, but to this election in our world is desperately in need of somebody who isn't going to sell them an agenda, but somebody who actually gets life that wants to do what ultimately benefits everybody's quality of life and not just their own or a select few. Oh, and you were early. Look at you with 10 seconds remaining. Thank you, Serene. Appreciate that. Uh, next up, I will consult the randomizer here. Next up, we've got Andy Williams, Jr. Andy, please give us your opening statement. Hey, uh, my name is Andy Williams, Jr., also known as the Hood Candidate because I'm from the Hood. Um, I'm running for president because May 3rd, 2019, I had an inclination in my spirit that said, hey, you should. Uh, would you consider running for president? I was like, yeah, why not? Um, and I feel like I've been prepared for this my whole life too. From the time I was two years uh, old, my parents separated. I wind up having a white stepmom that raised me for about 12 years. Well, 10 years she left when I was 12, had a real good foundation. Um, after she left, I got involved in the, the wrong path, you would say. Um, went to prison, but to periodically turned my life around because I had a foundation. And then from there, I fought in this foreclosure crisis for 13 years, um, been a paralegal. And I just feel like freedom is something that we're born with. And so when I take my life experience of what I've overcame and how I've conquered um, and realized the real war was inside of me and I faced that giant, I felt the need to be able to share those tools with the rest of the people, because if the leadership, which should be a servant, which is chief citizen of all, is one of the uh, positions of the president, that's something that I embody in my life. I want to live by example. And if that office is giving out peace, love is what I would call the love illusion, then the country has peace, love, and love illusion, but to be very transparent. So our platform is one, human rights is what you're born with. Two, is abolish the prison industrial complex, which is mass incarceration. And three, is economic empowerment. Those three things, um, specifically economic empowerment, made in America jobs, is what my uh, solution is for this campaign.
Thank you. All right. Thank you, Mr. Williams. Up next, we have Mr. Vermin Supreme. Yes. My name is Vermin Supreme. I am a meme. I am a libertarian, and I am seeking the libertarian nomination. I am also an internationally recognized, highly respected political satirist, activist, and performer. For over 30 years, I've been using humor and satire as a successful anti-authoritarian communication strategy uh, in order to mock and delegitimize the duopoly. This has allowed me to reach an audience of tens of millions of people around the globe, across the political spectrum, and earn free media uh, from across the flat earth. Uh, this project of mine has given me a level of notoriety and reach that is allowing me to make this legitimate offer of my services as a candidate to the Libertarian Party. Now, can the LP put up a wacky entertainer and not be accused of being a joke party? I believe the answer is yes. It is absolutely all in the framing. We are a serious party with serious ideas and a platform for America. However, and here's the pivot, the duopoly presidential electoral system has risen to the level of a joke. And with love and with spite, and Spike, here is Vermin Supreme. Hashtag in on the joke. It will require owning the joke and, and making it the joke that we can all share and uh, have fun with. Um, can we use humor as a weapon against the duopoly? I say yes. Can we use humor as a tool of outreach, as a tool of education and recruitment? I say yes. Can we use humor and satire as a tool to spread the word of liberty? I fully say yes. The LP is being given a choice of two very different time streams this election cycle. Will it consist of the most amazing, outrageous, over-the-top, educational, informational, entertaining, dare I say legendary campaign that this country has ever seen, or will it be something a little more mellow, perhaps? Delegates, the choice will be yours. Thank you very much. My name is Vermin Supreme. Thank you, Mr. Supreme. Just FYI, I'll uh, interrupt here, guys. Okay, we are finally streaming live. Apologies for those tech issues, and I, I deeply apologize uh, because we, I know we missed a couple of people going live. Um, we will be able to repost this. You'll be able to go back and watch this after we uh, share it on YouTube. We will make sure to do that and tag you both, uh, Andy and Serene, um, to make sure that you get your, your day in the sun. Serene, excuse me. Right. Great. Well, for those of us just tuning into the live stream, welcome. We're glad we could get things rolling here. We've just, uh, you've only missed a couple of close opening statements, uh, Serene, Andy Williams, and Vermin Supreme. And as I said, this will be available as a podcast. Hopefully I'll have it up by tomorrow. We'll also have the video up on YouTube, but uh, we will now proceed with the, our introductory statements. We will now move on to Judge Jim Gray. Well, Mark, first of all, they missed our roar also, so we should correct That's true. That. We did have a great, a great group roar, so that'll, that'll get up there eventually. Our, our that's, that's a reason to tune in, if nothing else. Our country is in dire need of what libertarians bring. You know, I've done lots of things in my past. I've written more probably than any presidential candidate in history, even more than James Madison with regard to our issues. I've also written a musical called Convention, The Birth of America. So I've learned a lot about the delegates originally, the founders, and I don't call them founding fathers because there were numbers of mothers as well, but each one believed they fought, they bickered, they debated, but each one believed the most important function of government was controlling and protecting our liberties and our rights and our freedom from the encroachment of government. Number two is safety and security. That's what libertarians stand for. And we, they need, the country needs what we would do. 
my background I will put up against any candidate running in any party in this election. Yes, I was in the Peace Corps. I care about people, still do. I led a peace march thereafter from the steps of USC Law School to the City Hall in Los Angeles, emailing 20,000 letters to President Nixon saying, get our troops out of Cambodia. Within three months of that, ironically enough, I was on a training cruise as a midshipman in the Navy and was actually awarded a combat action ribbon on the rivers of Vietnam. So I've done all of these things. I was a former Navy lawyer. I was a federal prosecutor in Los Angeles. I was a trial court judge for 25 years here in Orange County and actually held a press conference back in 1992, talk about libertarian values, saying our nation's drug policy is not working. I put my professional life at risk because it's something I believed in and still do. I'm concerned about the criminal justice system. Andy Williams talked about that. We have people that are incarcerated in our world today that are factually innocent, which is an atrocity. We still have Guantanamo Bay where people have not even gotten a, a, a hearing, a trial, simply not what we stand for. So I am with Larry Sharp. I'm proud to say some people call him Mr. Libertarian, but SharpGray2020.com. Come to us, join us, see who we are, and I vow to you that we will do you proud. If you support us, I vow to you we will do you proud even if you don't. We are there, we are willing to serve, and we're going to change the culture of the United States of America to make libertarianism more understandable and accessible and employable, and we will make real progress, that I promise. I had to bring in the, had to bring in the bailiff, Judge Gray. <laughs> I forgot my bailiff. Oh, good, thank you, thank you, Judge. Uh, up next, we've got Miss Joe Jorgensen. So the media believe that third party candidates cost Hillary the election. They're not going to let it happen to Biden. They will frame this election as a binary choice, Biden versus Trump, and no other choice will be heard. We must bypass this uh, media blockade and create a direct channel to voters. And the prospects are there. Many people don't realize that there are actually 40 to 45 million libertarian-leaning Americans out there. Either they haven't heard of the party or they're misinformed or they just haven't really thought about their political beliefs. We're not going to reach these people by appealing only to the purest of the pure libertarians nor by targeting the moderates with the best ideas from both sides, as we used to say in the 70s and 80s. We can't pin our hopes on attracting disappointed Bernie bros from the left or never Trumpers from the right. Instead, our nominee must be deeply principled with a long-term commitment to our party, communicate libertarian ideas in a way that non-libertarians will understand, and show the benefits of bold libertarian proposals. The last three LP presidential campaign staff did not share their data with the LP, even though they had a written agreement. Now, please note, I'm not criticizing Gary Johnson or Bob Barr. I'm complaining about the Republican-led campaign teams who work for them. I will share my data real time. I am that candidate. I can unite current libertarians and attract new ones. Nominate me, and my campaign will create a direct communications channel to bypass the media blackout. My strategy will grow all levels of the party and benefit all of our candidates. Visit JOJ2020.com and join my team. Thank you. Ms. Jorgensen, thank you very much. And lastly, but not leastly, we have Mr. Jacob Hornberger. I want to first start out with commending my fellow debaters here. 
Uh, I think we're now up to 14 or 15 LP presidential debates that we've participated in. And this is an important part of our party process. It's like a crucible where LP members and delegates can examine and scrutinize where we stand, where we can get challenged on where we stand, how we stand up in the heat of fire. And so this is an important process. And when somebody jumps into this race at the very end of it, uh, specifically with the intent of avoiding these debates, there's a good reason for that. Now, this race is much more than just a political race. This is really a battle for the heart and soul of the Libertarian Party. On the one side, you have the reformers. These are people that have given up any hope of liberty. They have resigned themselves to the permanence of the welfare warfare state way of life. And they've resigned themselves to just reforming it. Educational reform, immigration reform, healthcare reform, social security reform, 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 reform. And that's why the reformers have rushed Gaga-like over to Justin Amash's campaign because Amash represents the arch-typical example of a reformist, Republican-like, Tea Party-oriented campaign. On the other side, we've got those that have not given up on the chances of liberty. I'll never give up on the possibility of achieving a free society. And that means making the case to the American people, not for the reform of infringements on liberty, but for their dismantling. Now, if the party wants to move in the direction of the party of expediency, the party of reform, Amash is your candidate, no question. He'll run that standard Republican-like campaign that we're accustomed to. If you want the party of principle, the party of liberty, I qualify on that count. And I say that's the direction this party should go in regardless of the consequences. Because if we abandon that principle, we become like them. We become like Democrats and Republicans. All right. Thank you, Mr. Hornberger. Uh, unfortunately, Mr. Mosh is not here to respond uh, to, to that comment. Um, all right. We are now moving on to the first question. Reminder, you will have 90 seconds to answer each of these. So my first question for the candidates. <clears throat> Libertarians often debate over what the goals of a Libertarian Party presidential campaign should be. Uh, some believe it to be purely educational. Some believe they should be striving to get, just gain ballot access. And some are really in it to win it. So when it comes to your view of the Libertarian Party, what is the purpose of a National Libertarian Party presidential campaign? Uh, we're going to start with Ms. Jorgensen. Ms. Jorgensen, you have 90 seconds. So I would say all of the above. First of all, I'd like to point out that the Libertarian Party is a political party. There are many people out there who say we should have a purely educational uh, campaign, talk pure philosophy. But the thing is, is we are a political team, a political party. So ultimately, we have to get votes. So yes, I'm going after votes. However, just as important or even more important would be gaining membership. And that's what I'm looking to do with my campaign, because it's only through getting more members in the party can we have candidates at all levels, uh, federal, state, local. Only then can we get donors to our campaigns, uh, people knocking on doors, calling on the telephone, going out and working at fairs as I did. I personally have been an activist. I've worked at the fair. I've collected signatures as a volunteer. We need to grow the party to get all of those functions in place. So that is what I am going after. And I'd like to point out that when I was Harry Brown's 1996 VP candidate, together, Harry and I doubled the party size. We brought in more members 
than at any other point in Libertarian Party history. Yes, Gary Johnson brought in votes, and yes, we need to go after votes. However, even with Gary Johnson's uh, very publicized campaign going after votes, he didn't grow the party as much as we did. And regardless of how many votes we get, which yes, votes are number one, we have to make the party larger. And of course, ballot access speaks to all of those. You need votes in some states for uh, ballot access. In other states, such as mine, you need signatures. So we need to attack all three. Thank you. Thank you, Joe. Up next, we have Mr. Andy Williams. I think that's, uh, yeah, you got to unmute there. <coughs> So uh, with our campaign, it's more of a movement. And I say that because so many times people say, when I become president, this is what I'm going to do. Our campaign isn't about a future promise. It's about a today's movement. We can't wait for criminal justice reform. We can't wait to end police brutality. We can't wait for our liberty, which is why I sued on behalf of my own liberty. When I look at the Libertarian Party, specifically with the black vote, that we're not a diverse uh, a political party, but we represent what the black people have been asking for for 50 years since the 1964 Civil Rights Act bill was passed. I bring that to the platform of libertarian. I've been a libertarian. When I saw the principles, I said, this is what I was born to be. And so many of us are complaining, uh, when I speak specifically about the, the black vote, um, very so with the Generation X, when they see the campaign, the movement, the rap songs I'm doing, and to speak eloquent about solutions, this is what Libertarian is. And I believe staying in this party will grow the Black vote and the Hood vote, because I say I'm the Hood candidate because of being hanging out on, on the Hood growing up. It'll give them something that they never had before. I have a quick uh, follow-up for that because we see with the Democratic side, uh, obviously Joe Biden is under incredible pressure to either have a woman or a black woman or a, bl or a, a woman or a black person as his VP or a black woman, I guess the combination of the two. Um, do you feel that the Libertarian Party is under the same amount of pressure? And uh, you know, we can do a quick just 10 second yes or no answer to this, but do you feel that a, uh, it is important to have diversity in our candidates by the, with the VP pick or a presidential pick? And is that going to be important in the way that we grow this party? I definitely think it's um, important to have that diversity because how can you relate if you didn't have that experience? You got to have that experience. And if I was a white candidate that had been in prison and grew up in gangs and drugs, I would have that experience. And if I hung around certain people, I would have that experience. But I think we're not under the same pressure. But if we want to grow, I think we need to start doing some marketing ideas and embrace different approaches like Vernon Supremes. Embrace that. So I think we need to. But the Democrats, they washed up the old news. Okay. Uh, let's just uh, we can see you. So do anybody else like to respond? Just raise your hand. We'll call on you in, in order if you'd like to say something you know, to add to this topic. No. Okay, let's move on. We'll move on to uh, Serene Ardilianu. Serene, what is the purpose of a Libertarian Party presidential campaign to you? I believe the purpose is to win. And while we're actually focusing on winning, we're checking the other boxes. And the reason I say that is because I actually believe that we can win. And that if we believe that we can win, no matter how much people tell us it's impossible and, and go through the motions of preparing for a victory, we actually do get closer and closer to winning. 
And I do believe that it's quite possible to happen this year because of everything that's going on. You know, like I mentioned earlier, like I have felt called to run specifically in 2020. I didn't know what was going to be happening in 2020. None of us did. And look at what's happening. It's all these uncertainty in politics and in the world. And what I'm realizing is that people are ready for a different model. People are different, are ready for a different approach. People are realizing that what we've been doing got us here. And so the Libertarian Party, as the party that defends the Constitution, needs to lead the way, needs to believe in its candidates, needs to believe in its values and its principles, and not be attached to that outcome and just expect it. And the more we do that, regardless of what happens at this election, the closer we will get. It's so important because I see people that don't believe that we could win or don't think we should try. And to me, it's like, well, why are you even involved? You know, this is so much greater than just politics. This is the future of our country. This is the future of our human family. And this this is why I'm involved, because I care about everybody and we need to do what's right for everybody. And I believe that people are ready for love, logic, and liberty. Thank you very much, Serene. We will now move on to Judge Jim Gray. Well, thank you. I believe I agree with the speakers and my colleagues so far. Uh, we are a political party. In fact, as I said in my acceptance speech when I was nominated for the vice presidential candidate with Governor Gary Johnson back in 2012, we're a political party, not a debating society. And if we want to be purist and we want to score virtue points, that's one thing. But I want to move the ball. In fact, I ask the question. Ask any football coach, which team wins the game? And it's almost always the team that got the most first downs. They move the ball down the field. And I want to win the game. You can try these Hail Mary passes if you want to. And I'm going to abolish this and abolish that. You'll scare the voters. You won't be any farther along in five or ten years than you are now. I want us to move the ball. We have so many constituents, Americans around the country, who are natural libertarians, would appreciate, would thrive by what we would do. They just don't know it. You know, a lot of communities where the schools are failing their children, regretfully in many of these minority areas, they are natural going to come to the libertarian cause if they understand we will bring excellence in schools to their children. The, the elderly, the sick, if we can get competition back into the healthcare system and get rid of the Department of Motor Vehicles approach, all of these various, the warriors and their families, we're sending them into battle without having a declaration of war, without having a goal. We stand for them. So we'll change the culture. That is the purpose of our Libertarian Party. I agree with the end results. I agree with the goals, but I want to move the football. I want to win this game. Gray Sharp 2020, I think we can do that. Plus, of course, Joe Jorgensen talked about growing the party as well. Down ballot access candidates are hugely important. City councils, water districts, the rest. Larry Sharp has a history of that. So do I. We're going to grow the party and we're going to try to win this election. And if you ask me later, I'll tell you exactly the strategy that we're going to employ. It gives us a 3.7% chance of winning the right, president. Judge Gray, that, that, I got I to cut you off there. That's well over your time, but thank you very much. Uh, moving on there, we now have... Jacob Hornberger. Mr. Hornberger, you've got 90 seconds. Ever since this party was founded in 1971, the goal has never been the achievement of political power. The, the goal has always been the achievement of a free society. I, I go into this race with that in mind, and, and I go in to win it, but as a means to achieve that free society. And we do that with principles. We are the party of principle. 
that that's our unique role in this political arena. If we say, let's just water down our principles, let's run a Republican-esque campaign, let's run a Tea Party campaign in order to win, then what have we accomplished? We've accomplished nothing. So winning at any cost is the worst thing this party can do. In fact, let's suppose you, you do succeed. Let's suppose with a watered-down, Republican-oriented Tea Party campaign, you get 20% of the vote. This party is dead at that point because you'll never go back. You can never go back to advocating liberty because the reformers will say, Jacob, we can't, we can't go back to liberty. We'll lose ballot status. So we have to fight with who we are. Our principles are our greatest asset. I will put them up against the greatest uh, power and money in the world. That's what I say we should use to go into this battle. All right, Jacob, thank you very much. And lastly, we have Mr. Vermin Supreme. Mr. Supreme, what is the purpose of the Libertarian Party presidential campaign? You have 90 seconds. Uh, this is, I believe you're still muted, Vermin. I can unmute you here. One second. Uh, yes, I, I think it's worth noting that, of course, uh, our, our, the resources that we'll be uh, operating with are considerably less than the duopoly. That being said, I do believe that it is possible to win against all odds. Uh, just look at Robin Williams' Man of the Year movie. Or in real life, how about President Zelensky of the Ukraine, um, a comedian who got elected to be the president? Uh, I believe the LP is certainly using the, uh, the presidential election as a, as a platform, as a vehicle. Uh, we want to generate buzz. We want to create our brand awareness. We want to be as educational and inform informative as we can possibly be, explaining libertarian ideas and the platform to the American people, exposing Americans to the ideas uh, of liberty that are so uh, great that they sell themselves, but we need to get them to look at them. Um, I believe in uh, reaching out to the young people. I believe in growing the party. And I believe that I am uh, uniquely uh, positioned uh, to be able to accomplish uh, these goals. Thank you. I'm Vermin Supreme. All right. Thank you very much, Mr. Supreme. Very concise answer. I will now turn the floor over to my colleague, Mr. Brian McWilliams. He's got a question for you. Too. I do indeed. So uh, this round, we're going to start off with Sarin. Uh, the question is... Sarin, come on, Brian. This is the third time. I, I have a mental I block. I don't know now. why. It's the two ends. I'm sorry, Sarin. I don't know. Like, three. I can't stop doing it. Okay. Sarin, my apologies. I got it. my brain. Okay. The question is, the Libertarian Party platform has a clearly stated open board plank. If you agree with this plank, how do you define open borders? And if you disagree, what would your immigration policy as the LP POTUS nominee be? I believe that any, you know, act trying to stop somebody's movement is an act of violence. And so I do believe in open borders also, you know, for a fairer, freer market, for easier for doing business. And, you know, one of the things that I've, I've come to realize is that borders actually in a way, create an excuse for people to discriminate, especially people in the government. You know, if you're on one side of the border, you get treated a certain way. If you're on another, you're treated the other way. And I believe that our country stands for really treating all human beings the same way. And so I feel that this is very hypocritical of our country. I do believe that there needs to be some sort of security measures because we don't want to necessarily invite people that are here to cause harm for us. We don't want to welcome these people in, but for the most part, this should be easy. We should treat all human beings with respect and we should allow people the opportunity to come over here. Especially, um, you know, I mentioned my parents are immigrants. My father literally risked his life 
running across the border in Romania in the 70s for religious freedom. I mean, he told me that he got lucky that a guard turned the other way, that he didn't get shot. You know, so I know what it's like to, you know, fight for your life and, and, and these boundaries that keep us in and that this isn't fair for, for human beings, that we need to be able to move and do business freely across borders and that there needs to be a more humane way to address this in the way the government has been addressing it, that there are more humane ways that we can use reason. And, you know, our country suffers when we don't let people in that want to come here to pursue the great American dream because people come here to work, to, you know, self-actualize themselves, to, you know, chase their dreams. We want those people here. We want their ideas. That's what's made this country so great is the ideas of different people. And so for me, I am all for encouraging immigration, but intelligently. Right, like, Serena, that, that's your time. Yeah, I'm sorry. I don't know if, not, if you guys aren't hearing the bell or not. You are oh, hearing I, the bell. I haven't, I haven't heard the bell marked yet. Oh, okay. Well, that, that's good to know. That's very <laughs> yeah. good to know. That explains a lot. <laughs> it's like, you don't want to break in there. Yes. Um, so you're you over your time. Are you guys hearing Thank the bell so. right now? Now I can hear it. Okay. Yes. Now, I, now I know I got to hold the bell a little closer. <laughs> yep. There you go. Okay. Thank right. you, Serene. Uh, we are going to now have Andy Williams Jr. Oh, Andy, you're still muted. I got it. I got it. Um, so I I think of this song. This land is my land. This land is your land. Open the borders. I do believe we need wisdom. So you wouldn't want to know anybody coming into your house without knowing who they were. Just like I don't think anybody should come over here without us knowing who they are. Not for a restricted reason. Not for an oppressive reason. Just until... We're so far behind in loving our neighbor and doing unto others as we would have others do unto you. The United States of America has made enemies. So we can't just say, hey, now we got a libertarian-minded you know, president or, or libertarian-minded people all in Congress that everybody else is going to. We started this organization in 1971. We still ain't got no libertarian in, 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 in uh, uh, Congress. So obviously people are just indoctrinated brainwashed and don't see that. Well, that will be the same as other people coming over. Because one thing we do not know is what goes on in the behind the scenes. Because we're not there. We don't know. Like, you know, you can apply for a job, but you don't know what's really going on until you get in that job. The United States of America, we know, has done a lot of backdoor dealings. And to leave those borders open without some kind of accountability will set the people up possibly for failure. Okay. Thank you very much, Andy. Uh, next up will be Jacob Hornberger. I stand for freedom and free markets, which means completely open borders, free trade and open immigration. And this is one of the things that one of the reasons I joined the Libertarian Party, because it is the party of principle. It's guided by the non-aggression principle. When one crosses a political border, he's not initiating force. It's the people that go after him that are initiating force. And this is what distinguishes one of the things from Republicans and Libertarian-leaning Republicans and Democrats, including the newly one that just entered the race a few days ago that they, they stand for free markets and free enterprises, Republicans and Tea Party types, but they favor this socialist immigration system. And that's what it is. Oh, they'll call for immigration reform and they'll say their parents are immigrants and they want to let in more. But let is the operative word. Let and freedom are opposites. And so when, we, when we're the party of principle and, and we start running candidates that advocate the initiation of force against human beings, who just want to better their lives. They want to improve their lives for labor. That's a problem. 
that may generate lots of publicity, that may generate lots of money, it may generate a, a lots of, of uh, attention, but it's not consistent with the core principles of this party. Thank you, Mr. Hornberger. Uh, next up will be Joe Jorgensen. So I would like to point out that I am the granddaughter of immigrants. I am for completely open borders following the uh, our party's platform. I would like to point out, though, that unfortunately, immigration is one of those topics that does tend to divide libertarians somewhat, because many libertarians, myself included, uh, we love Milton Friedman. And he did such a great job with the Free to Choose series, explaining how everybody's better off when everybody gets uh, to choose. However, this is one area in which he disagrees with the general libertarian philosophy. He basically has the idea that you can either have open borders or you can have a welfare society, but you can't have both. And so he suggests that we get rid of the welfare before we have open borders. But that's just not what the statistics show. If we have open borders, it helps our country. And especially when we have more immigrants who have high school diploma or more. But even if we have immigrants with uh, less than a high school diploma, it balances out and it helps our economy. The overall long run fiscal effect is positive. And for each new immigrant, we get a certain number of dollars added to our economy. So, and it encourages the people that we want in this country to be independent, self-reliant, and it grows our country strong and competitive. And it gives Americans just a real joy to learn about other cultures. Thank you. Thank you, Joe. Uh, next up, we have Vermin Supreme. Yes, immigrants make America great and undocumented immigrants make it greater. Um, yes, uh, people uh, like capital need to be able to cross borders freely uh, for ultimate prosperity. Uh, as an anarchist, of course, um, I've always believed that uh, borders are an artificial construct by the state and, and uh, essentially illegitimate. But on the other hand, I'm a very reasonable man and I understand that uh, the reality in which we live in. Um, you know, I have personally crossed uh, the border. I've walked across the border to Mexico and back. I've walked across the border to Canada and back. I, I crossed borders in, in over 20 countries in, in Europe. And um, I remember uh, the time when I heard that uh, the United States was uh, beginning to fingerprint um, all tourists, uh, all anybody who wanted to come to visit America. And I, I, I found that extremely offensive and, and, and shameful that, um, that we as a country uh, took that step. And of course, I would like to see much freer borders, um, but of course, would defer to uh, the will of any reasonable uh, format that that might take, uh, Ellis Island or, or, or something along those lines. But yes, we, we definitely need to open our borders and, and welcome uh, citizens from the world into America and give them the opportunity to also become citizens uh, of the United States of America. Because we're number one! <laughs> All right. Thank you, Vermin. And bringing in uh, the final answer for this is Judge Jim Gray. Well, thank you, Brian. The first sentence I wrote in the introduction to my book on judging was, the best decision I ever made in my life was choosing my parents. I'm not sure of that so-called choice ever since. I was blessed to be able to be born in the United States of America. And I think that we should have anyone that wants to come to the United States to pursue the American dream should be able to do that. But I also have Milton Friedman as a hero. As long as we have the welfare state, 
We really cannot do that. Yes, by the way, we would have a background check for criminal justice issues, mental health, ter terrorism issues, but it is wrong. It is not America to close our borders, not who we are. But we would allow people to come in here, get a work visa pretty liberally. If they can support themselves, fine, they can come, pursue the American dream. If they can support their families, bring their families, but no welfare would be attached to that. And pretty soon, these people would be here. They'd be here legally. They can have a driver's license, not have all of this other stuff, go back and forth across the border as they wish, legally, freely. That's what we stand for. And everyone will win as that situation is put into effect. I believe that. Okay. Thank you, Judge. Mark, you want to take on the next question? Do you have any follow-ups, by the way? Uh, Mark, do you want to ask the candidates? I think, I think we're good to move along here. Um, I appreciate uh, not having to use the bell there as well. Last couple of times, just use it uh, for fun, just to mess with people. That's what I'd be doing. <laughs> I, I'm considering <laughs> halfway through. I mean, these candidates are running for liberty. They're running for president. They got to be able to think on their toes. Give them a, give them a bang once in a while, man. Bell. Hit us again, Mark. <laughs> All right. So uh, my question for you guys, uh, it's a fairly standard libertarian position to uh, be opposed to the war on drugs, to believe that all drugs should be decriminalized. So my first step is, my first question is, do you agree that all drugs, and I do mean all drugs, should be decriminalized? And if so, how would you persuade the American people during your campaign that this is the right path for dealing with any and all problems associated with drugs and drug use? And we're going to start appropriately enough, appropriately enough with a judge. Well, as I said earlier, and thank you, Mark, uh, I held a press conference as a, as a former drug warrior. I was a federal prosecutor and the rest, but it isn't working and it's harmful. We have juvenile street gangs that are using sale of illegal drugs as a recruiting tool. When I was on the bench, I sentenced people that would tell me they were under the influence of methamphetamine because they used marijuana and it was unknown to them, spiked with methamphetamines and they got hooked. It is a failed system. I wouldn't use, by the way, you can't get too much into this, I'm not decriminalize, I would use regulate and control and, and bring it under the control because we can't make drugs prohibited. We can't do away with drugs. They're going to be here one way or the other. Let's regulate them and control them so we do have age restrictions. But by the way, Robert Downey Jr. is a hero in a lot of ways, but he's had that lifelong heroin addiction. It makes as much sense to me to put him in jail for his heroin problem as it would have Betty Ford in jail for her alcohol problem. It's the same thing. It's a medical issue. Bring them closer to medical professionals. But if they drive a motor vehicle under the influence of methamphetamine, heroin, marijuana, alcohol, which is my drug of choice, that's a crime. What's the difference? Now, by their actions, they're putting everyone else's safety at risk, legitimate criminal justice function. But it makes as much sense to me to control what I, as an adult, put into my body as it does what I put into my mind. It's none of the government's business. I heard the bell that time. All right. Thank you, Judge Gray. Man, if only I knew you guys weren't hearing the bell. I'm actually impressed at how short your answers were in the beginning before the before the bell is full. They were good at self-policing, as good libertarians yeah. are. We don't need the state involved there. We police we, ourselves. Exactly. Most of you don't even need the bell. But, but regardless, I, I like you, you combed your hair this morning, too. It's really nice. <laughs> <laughs> I spent 45 minutes combing my hair. Uh, oh, if you can't, by to, you can't uh, tell us apart, by the way. Uh, Mark has a blonde beard. I have the gorgeous locks. Um, second only to Mr. Supreme's. Who is up next? Mr. Supreme, do you believe in the decriminalization of all drugs and how would you communicate this to the American people? Well, I, I believe I would do it under the uh, explanation of uh, harm reduction, uh, number one. Uh, I would point out the uh, Portugal model uh, where drugs ha have entirely been decriminalized and I would certainly point out that their levels of, of addiction and, uh, and use uh, are, are 
much less than they were previously. Of course, I would uh, argue that it is a, 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 the most critical and moral thing that we can possibly do to end the uh, war on drugs and free all those uh, prisoners who have been convicted of uh, nonviolent uh, drug offenses and how that the war on drug has, uh, has destroyed families and communities and uh, that it is only the, the right and proper thing to do and that we as individuals uh, do fully have the, uh, the right to uh, decide what we knowingly and voluntarily consume and what risks uh, people will accept for their own health, finances, safety, and life. Once again, of course, uh, the Libertarian Party does not uh, condone uh, addiction. Uh, however, it does respect your, your, your decision-making process. Thank you. All right, Mr. Supreme is getting, if I had a point system for going under the time the most, Mr. Supreme would be winning. Unfortunately, there are no points for that, but thank you very much. Moving on, we now have Andy Williams Jr. So I am in favor of decriminalizing all drugs except one. My wife is a drug. I'm addicted to her. Can't do that. But um, I look at decriminalizing all drugs knowing what the natural resources are. Everything that's born out of a plant substance has a natural resource that deals with healing, medicinal purposes. We as people abuse that. And then also for those uh, uh, going with Mr. Supreme saying Portugal, you know, they went with this 2300, I mean, the 32,000 rule. Um, it's personal consumption. So that part is legit. But when you have decriminalizing uh, drugs, so you can be the next uh, Nino Brown or Scarface. I'm not for that because that's destroying the community. So then we got to create economic opportunities. The economic opportunity by decriminalizing the drugs is teaching them the real medicinal purposes, which goes to my economic empowerment because we teach them at a vocational school. And then those who used to use would no longer be using because they would find hope within them. And we would get to the root cause of it, which is possibly depression, you know, lack of stuff because it's a very holistic approach when you're talking about decriminalizing drugs. So I say yes, but once we start educating people about what the natural resources are. Perfect timing. Thank you, Andy. Uh, up next, we have Serene Ardelianu. So I have some of this written on my website already, but I do not believe that we should punish people for drug possession or drug usage. And I mean, across the board, that we should legalize these. Uh, and the reason that I believe this is that we can regulate them better. People will get access to, you know, better quality, better information. And also, I'm not actually promoting drug usage, but the, what I've come to understand is the reason that people do turn to drugs is because they are either in pain and they want to feel good or they don't want to feel at all or they don't feel anything and they want to feel something. So we really need to start addressing the cause of these behaviors that can end up being self-destructive instead of addressing the effects, which is the addiction. And so if we have a system where people are not being punished, but instead society is recognizing like these people need some care, they need some love, they need some guidance. You know, these are, these are our, sensitive people, and I mean this with the most love and respect, you know, we need to start really addressing this differently. And also, I think it's really important to forgive people legally 
who have been incarcerated, you know, for crimes of drug possession, drug usage, and to clear their records and to give them a chance to participate, you know, in society, to get their lives in order, and not to hold that against them because people can and do change if they want to. So I really believe that it's important to look at the broader spectrum of, you know, what's causing this and allow people the best quality access. All right, thank you, Serene. I think we've really got the bell down now, guys. Uh, I didn't hear the bell that time, but she wrapped up very nicely. <laughs> you didn't hear the bell that time? No, I didn't hear the bell that time. I, um, I can't it. figure the bell out. Sometimes people hear it, sometimes they don't, but moving along. We don't want to spend the whole show on that. Uh, Ms. Jorgensen, you are up next. So I'm appalled that the United States ranks number one in the world for having the highest percentage of people imprisoned. And the drug laws are a major part of this. And the federal government allows the police to seize somebody's assets without even convicting them of a crime first. So I would go beyond decriminalization and go to legalization and absolutely all drugs. When I was running for VP, one of the questions, when I answered that question, somebody asked me, would you legalize all drugs? And I said, well, it depends on how much crime you want to get rid of. Do you want to get rid of a little bit of crime? Just legalize marijuana. You want to get rid of a lot of crime? Legalize all of them. Uh, one of the other candidates met, uh, mentioned regulation. I'm only for regulation if it's done through the free market. We don't need the government involved in regulating stuff. We've got plenty of uh, free market options, and the free market always does a better job of trying to deliver the best quality um, with the lowest price. So how to sell to the American people? That's the trick here. First of all, absolutely, it's our bodies, and we should be able to, to do what we want, but that's not going to sell it to the American people. What we have to do is we have to explain how legalization dries up black markets. It ends streets violence, how your kids are going to be safer. You don't see owners of liquor stores trying to sell gin to your kids at the junior high or high school. So by getting rid of these drug laws, your kids are going to be better off, and your lives are going to be better off. Everybody hear that bell? I try to, it shows a different bell that time. That's a, that's a bell right there. Judge Gray, you still don't hear the bell? I heard the bell. I want some ice cream. <laughs> All right. All right. Now that we've got the bell totally solved, thank you, Mr. Jorgensen. We will wrap this round up with Mr. Jacob Homburger. Legalize all drugs. People have a right to ingest whatever they want to ingest, no matter how harmful or destructive it might be. And um, we also have the utilitarian cases, things of fiasco. It produces violence in society, gang wars, uh, turf battles. Uh, it's Jim Crow. It's the new Jim Crow. The, the penitentiaries are filled with blacks who have been convicted of nonviolent drug offenses. Drug addiction and drug usage belongs in the private sector, not in the criminal justice sector. It is an immoral, corrupting program. But I am a little troubled by Judge Gray's uh, position on this, that he, he's long said he's against the war on drugs, but from what I understand, and he can correct me in his response on this, that I understand his position is that he does not want to uh, legalize heroin, cocaine, meth, opioids, and other hard drugs, that he only wants to legalize marijuana. And I say that if you live in a society where the government has the power to punish you for ingesting anything, then you're not living in a free society. May I have a response? Mark, yeah, yes, you are. Sorry, I think Mark's muted. Judge Gray, go ahead. You have a 30 seconds response, please. Thank you. Yeah, sorry, I, I, was not, I do not want children to be sold marijuana. I don't want them to be sold cocaine. I don't want them to be free market so that your daughter at 12 years old can go to your local mini mart and buy, buy some cocaine. I don't want that. No one I know does. 
So I would regulate and control them basically like wine. They have age restrictions, advertising restrictions, and they have quality control. That's, that's where I would go with all drugs under medicalized, particularly cocaine, et cetera. There can be dangerous. Bring them under medical control. That's what I would do. I wrote a book on it. All right. And Jacob, do you want to give a very brief response to that? It's not in my written rules. But yeah. I mean, I think all libertarians would, would oppose um, the, 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 um, the, the child issue of drugs. My question is, is we're talking about adults. Does he, oh, want, to legal, does he want to legalize drugs for all adults. Well, that's now that's different. You didn't say that. That's so that's. So do you want to clarify, uh, Judge Gray? Would you legalize? Would you decriminalize drugs legalize entirely drug, for adults? Legalized drug. Think aspirin. No age restrictions. No restrictions at all. I do not want that for any of these drugs. I'm concerned about our children. I do not want children to go to the, their local Lucky Market and buy cocaine or bourbon. So that's the difference. But the question was regarding decriminalization. So would you want to decriminalize all drugs for, for adults? For adults, for adults. Okay, please, these, these terms mean something. Decriminalization means that it's still illegal to buy, use, sell, possess any of these drugs, like in Portugal, but they don't, they don't enforce the law. I'm a judge, I believe in having reasonable laws, but I believe in enforcing those laws. So I would have regulated control, pretty much like cigarettes and alcohol, with regard to all of these drugs. So children cannot be sold. I do not want that to happen. All righty. Uh, I'm going to toss this back over to Brian for another All question. All right. All right. And for the next question, we will be starting off with Andy Williams Jr. The question is, the presidency of the United States has limited powers, at least in theory, but presidents do have the ability to issue executive orders. If you were elected president, how would you use executive orders? And do you have any executive orders that you would issue on day number one? So. I would use my executive orders to um, specifically release political prisoners, for sure, um, nonviolent offenders in the federal penitentiary, as long as we have an assessment tool in place. And I say that because coming from the streets, when you don't change your mindset and you've been locked up in jail and you get out with the same mindset, you're going to create the same situation and scenarios if you're going back to your same neighborhood. So under those so, so that's how I would implement that part right there with my executive orders. Um, and pretty much, I'm like more of using government as a limited role of aid and assisting. So we only need to come in when there's a problem. Like, mm, some people aren't getting enough health care. Let's come in and aid assist them with some type of uh, temporary resources. Because once you depend on the government so much, that's why they have so much power. And I only believe in limited power. So I'm just looking at saying, how can I aid and assist, be an example for the people, um, and use my powers as a servanthood? Because the greatest among you should be your servant. So I'm really here to serve the people, not the people serve me. So that's my executive orders. And I'd use them to the fullest, especially when it comes to serving and uh, following where um, 90, the guy I can't even think of his name right now. The president that's 94 is still doing Habitat for Humanity. Jimmy Carter. <laughs> Car yeah, Jimmy I Carter. <laughs> that's All right. Thank you, Mr. Williams. Uh, coming up next. Oh, I hit my wrong thing. Next, we have Serene Ardlianu. Ardlian. God, I'm just, I, I, I can't. I just, I give up. I don't know. I, I give up trying to say it. <laughs> it's entertaining. <laughs> But somebody, I'm just embarrassed by it. Okay, please go, go ahead. So executive orders. 
I do not believe that the president of the country is the ruler of the country. And so I take this power very seriously. And it's not something that I intend to use to control people, but something that I would use to free people. So, you know, as I mentioned before, when we're talking about drugs, you know, clearing records, freeing people and beyond drugs, you know, victimist crimes, sex work, you know, crimes of poverty, all that, forgiving those people, clearing their records, you know, giving them a chance to restart. I think that's really important, um, you know, because this is a waste of resources and this isn't actually addressing the problem. Uh, One of the things I've been involved in for the past year and a half now is criminal justice reform. Um, I'm an advisory board member of a nonprofit out of New York called It Could Happen to You. And we actually help pass historical legislation in the state of New York to hold prosecutors accountable. And we've been working with other states as well. One of the things I've learned is that there's many um, people who have been wrongfully convicted that are unfortunately behind bars. Now, yes, everybody says they're innocent, but some of them actually are. And so I really want to address this and to help people um, to get their freedom back. So, you know, as far as executive orders go, I'm always going to do what will free people and not enslave people. And I'm also going to be very uh, thoughtful, not impulsive, because again, I don't believe that this is a president is ruler. I believe that this is doing what's for best for everybody, not just myself and what I think is right. Okay. So you Kim Kardashian, definitely part of your cabinet. Maybe. <laughs> okay. Uh, next up, Vermin Supreme. Up, oh, still muted. Hold on, Vermin, you're muted. Hold on, let me unmute you. Sorry about that. I'm I'm a boomer. Oh, what yeah. can I tell you? Let's oh, start your time uh, now. I'm yeah, yeah. Okay. Now, naturally, I, I would uh, bring the troops home. I would uh, declare all, all the wars done and over with. I would clear the jails of, of all prisoners convicted of victimless crimes, of course. Uh, abolish the IRS uh, just for fun. Um, I would make uh, executive orders uh, that would uh, make everyone get along and love one another. And I would totally repeal the law of gravity. Thank you. <laughs> okay. Thank you, Berman. Uh, next up, we have Judge Jim Gray. I've got to tell you, it's hard to follow up on that one, but uh, <laughs> look, executive orders, four words, they are abused. Executive orders are meant to inform the, the executive department on how re- various regulations are in effect. President Obama ab- abused that when he actually ordered that we not follow the immigration laws with the DACA children, the great dreamers. I agreed with that sentiment, but he can't say we're not going to follow the law by executive order. He should have done it right. And he had no complaint when, in effect, Donald Trump reversed it because he had every right to do it. If Obama can do executive order one way, he can do it the other. You've got to follow the law. You've got to follow the process. President Clinton, I believe, caused tens of thousands of acres all of a sudden to be national monuments. No, I don't think we have monarchs in our country. I will not use the executive orders that way, but way they intended, just to clarify different regulations. Abused, it can be abused on both sides. No, let's try following the law. And that is my position. Thank you very much. Radical as it could be. <laughs> no, very good. Uh, next, we have Jacob Hornberger. Uh, executive orders are the essence of dictatorial conduct. Uh, they are ex- they're essentially decrees by the ruler. Uh, we live in a society and under a governmental system where 
presidents should go to Congress and seek permission to do things. Look what President Trump has done with the trade war against China, which put you know hundreds of thousands of Americans out of work and bankrupted American farmers. He did this, did this by decree. He raised tariffs, which are taxes on the American people by decree. Uh, you've got uh, sanctions on like the people of Iran, which is a moral abomination, killing innocent people by these Republicans. And oh, by the way, by libertarian leaning Republicans, too, that favor this moral abomination of targeting innocent people for the purpose of a political goal and doing it through executive decree. I would say cancel this power. And, and but I would issue an <laughs> executive decree to cancel all these executive decrees that pose sanctions on people trade wars on people. And then you just go through Congress uh, to seek permission to do things. You know, in Argentina, under General Pinochet, he used to issue what were called decree laws. Whatever he decreed became the law. And that's what these executive orders have become. They've become decree laws that are the very essence of a dictatorship. I like it. Executive order, cancel executive order, nexus of the universe, black hole. Excellent. Uh, And wrapping us up, Joe Jorgensen. Yes, of course, we need to get rid of decree laws in which we have laws that are not passed by Congress. However, I would try to use any decree laws I could to bring about as much freedom as we can. And then let's go back and get rid of them. So, for instance, the tariffs. Let's get rid of the tariffs first before we get rid of the decree laws. Um, I would go to the FDA. And right now, one of our problems is we don't have enough testing. The FDA is getting in the way of that. So what I would do is I would have some kind of Emergency Powers Act, and I would put the FDA at least back to where it was in 1962, in which you only had to prove safety and not efficacy. And that would get a lot more drugs, a lot more testing out on the market as soon as possible. Absolutely, I would start bringing the troops home. We need to get rid of these ugly wars. We need to stop sending our young people over to prop up foreign dictators. We need to stop putting our money to support uh, rich European countries. They can handle their own military needs. Also, absolutely, I would try to, um, or I would, try to end the drug war as much as possible by myself. I would try to get as many people out of the federal prison as I could, drug use, sex workers, simple gun ownership, anything between peaceful, consensual adults, and return the people to their families and have the prisons mean uh, put to use of what they were put to use for, real crimes such as murder, rape, and so forth. Thank you, Joe. Uh, Mark, you want to kick it off for the next question? By the way, we're doing great on time, just so you guys know you're uh, really – cracking along here so we should come in perfectly about 90 minutes yeah you're doing you're doing great folks very impressed by the timeliness of these responses uh but i'm going to give you a a not short question because i'm going to start this question with a quote from murray rothbard murray rothbard once said the genuine libertarian then is in all senses of the word an abolitionist he would if he could abolish instantaneously all invasions of liberty, whether it be in the gen- in the original coining of the term slavery or whether it be the manifold other instances of state oppression. He would, in the words of another libertarian in a similar connection, blister my thumb pushing that button. So my question to the candidates now, if you had the power to end the state immediately with the push of a button, would you push that button and explain why or why not? And we will start with Ms. Jorgensen. So if I understood correctly, you're talking about ending the state like the government? Correct, yes. Okay. 
while I agree that we need as much freedom as possible, we need to get rid of as much government as possible, if we do it overnight, it would just simply create chaos. I think it needs to be more of a step-by-step. Now, there are some things that we can absolutely get rid of overnight, and it doesn't hurt anybody. For instance, the Department of Education. We've had the Department of Education for 40 years. Educational quality has not gone up. In fact, it's gone down. Absolutely get rid of that. We need to get rid of uh, drug laws and uh, sex crime laws and anything between consenting adults. However, there are some people who were forced through no choice of their own, but through the federal government to have their wages, a portion of their wages taken away from them for retirement. And if we just put them out on the street, then they're not going to be able to survive. Absolutely, we need an immediate opt-out. So anybody can immediately opt out of Social Security on the first day. However, those people who have had their money forcibly taken at the point of a gun from the government for 40 years, we need to somehow make that whole. Uh, One of Harry Brown's suggestions was to sell government assets, post offices, parks and so forth, and help them out that way. So basically, they would just be getting the money back that they put in. We would not continue to take money from some people and give it to other people. We would be living in a a freer society. All right. Thank you very much, Ms. Jorgensen. We will now move on to Serene Ardiliano. If you say your name right, she doesn't know how to respond. Yeah, she's, no, no, she's no. Blown I'm away when you oh, totally off guard. <laughs> no, it, it's I've been thinking about this a lot because I've had freedom for over 10 years now. I've done what I want, when I want, how I want, and with whom I want. And it hasn't been the easiest or most fulfilling journey at first. I made it through all the craziness and chaos. And so I agree with what Joe said that, you know, I don't, as much as I would like to push that button and give everyone absolute freedom today, I realize that it is a huge responsibility and we need to help people work through it. Not we, the government, we, the people who understand how to work through it. And those are the people that we should be electing into government positions so they can lead by example. Uh, You know, I just, I, I am concerned about giving somebody the type of freedom that I had overnight, even though I want everybody to have it. I had a lot of support around me and I happened to make the right decisions, but I'm very fortunate to be here today, to be alive, to be healthy and to be grounded. And I really want the best for everybody. And the other thing that really concerns me is all these systems that our government has been selling to the people and forcing them to subscribe to, you know, my mother is low income and she's getting close to retirement. And so I think about people like her who would lose everything if we were to push that button and how there needs to be a bridging of where we are today to where we want to go. There needs to be more voluntary options. The government needs to stop being the parent. Was that the bell? That was the bell, yeah. Okay. (laughs) We're going to get this thing down one of these days. All right, moving along. We're with three minutes left in the bay. We'll get that bell figured out. Next time, I'm going to actually bring a cowbell in here. So, uh, yeah. moving along, Judge Jim Gray. No, it's kind of hard to solve the world's problems in 90 seconds. But look, destroy the state? Clearly not. Look at Article One, Section Eight of the Constitution. 
did a pretty good job. We need a military. You know, we need a judiciary. They cost money. It takes government to do those in a lot of ways. They made a mistake with regard to the post office. I, I don't think that that should be a, a function there. It should be privatized. But, but look, I prosecute a lot of bad people and they were put in prison and that's exactly where they should be. We need to have a state. How much? Reduce it enormously. Joe Jorgensen mentioned Social Security. I'll say the name. If we were to abolish Social Security, say, no, no more government. Sorry, guys, you put in for 40 years at the point of a gun, basically, extortion. But now we're not going to do that anymore. Total breach of contract. Flagrant breach of contract. We libertarians believe in enforcing contracts, but we need a state in order to do that. The FBI is a necessity. And by the way, it was the comment, if you're going to beat your swords into plowshares, soon you'll be plowing for somebody else. There's some bad people in the world that are going to attack us if we don't protect ourselves. We do need a unity of government to do that. So it's a moderation, but I would, I would go through and abolish the Bureau of Indian Affairs promptly, Department of Education, those things too, but, but not abolish the state. That's silly. All right, Judge Gray, Sorry, thanks for being under time as well. Thank you. Uh, moving along, we now have Mr. Hornberger. Now let's put ourselves in 1850 America when the slaves were there and we have people arguing, we can't free the slaves all at once. We can't push that button. That would be cruel and, un and be horrible to the slaves. They don't have a work. They don't know how to get a job. No, we've got to phase out slavery over the next 40 years. We've got to reform slavery. This is nonsense, absolute nonsense. Freedom of works. Murray Rothbard, okay, he was an anarchist, but it's because of his writings and the writings of Ludwig von Mises, Frederick Bastiat, Leonard Reed, that I got attracted into this philosophy, that I became a libertarian. The problem with all too many libertarians is that they've lost faith in freedom. You could push the button, and I would push the button right now, not to abolish the state, but to abolish the stealing that comes with the welfare state. This idea that it's a contract is ridiculous. The law says it's a welfare state program. Just read the law, and you'll see that that's what it is. To abolish it today simply means that you're going to leave $2 trillion in the hands of younger people. Where do they think the Social Security money comes from? The government isn't rich all of its own. It comes from young people. Why not leave that $2 trillion in their hands? Why not trust them to give their money to, the, to their parents and grandparents and eliminate the middleman of the IRS, which is one of the most crooked, tyrannical agencies in U.S. history? Why not have faith in freedom? I would push the button without hesitation because I know freedom work, works. You can count on the younger people of this country to manage their own funds and do the right thing. And oh, by the way, that's what freedom is all about, the right to make that choice. All right, thank you, Mr. Hornberger. We now move on to Mr. Andy Williams. So I think everything uh, is a process and I hear Mr. Holmberger talking about slavery, but I know pushing that button right now and people getting out of jail who have not re renewed their minds, statistics show they reoffend because they haven't renewed their mind. I got all this freedom. What do I do with it? So I think there has to be a, a form of education, literacy, especially with the financial people are learning how to manage with nothing right now on this COVID-19. And I, you should have put Frederick Douglass in the list of the names because he was an abolitionist and a prophet of freedom. That's what he stood for. That's what he he, he fought for. Um, and so I, I get to piggyback off, off my ancestors and what they've done. And I truly believe we are locked up 
right now in our own minds. It's a mindset. We're only bound because we think we're bound, you know, and the, there's a scripture because I love the scripture Bible for instructions. It's Proverbs 29 verse 2. It says, when the righteous are in, in authority, the people rejoice. When the wicked are in authority, the people mourn. We just need righteous people. That's what Daniel was in, in Chadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They were righteous people. That's what we need to do. The government is not bad in the sense of a system. It's bad because the people running the system, thoughts are bad. So I'm not for saying push the whole button without there being some education and the right tools in place. Because if not, we'll just have a whole worse disaster. That's it. Thank you, Andy. And lastly, we have Mr. Supreme. Mr. Supreme, are you pushing the button? And he actually turned his computer off. Oh, I think we, we got to unmute you. We got to unmute you again. You gotta, no, no, he's, he's, he's unmuted. He's, the visual, for those who are going to listen to the podcast, though, is he is pushing the button right now. Mr. Rothbard, there, there's something wrong with your imaginary hypothetical button here. It's not <laughs> working. Uh, but, but yeah, if, if, if the button did not include all sorts of civil unrest and mass starvation and brought us to a stable post-state society, Heck yeah, I'd be. I'd keep on pushing it. <laughs> so then, Thanks, follow up. Do you gonna... do you then uh, do, do you then say then if you if it didn't lead to mass starvation, does that mean that you would not immediately push it then? Um, I I I just tried to push it, man. What, 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 <laughs> what, what are you what are you saying? All right. Yeah. No, I I'm more anarchist than you. That's what I'm saying. Okay. All right. Oh, do we just lose Mark? Up, oh, he's back on. Okay, we got. It. All right, thank you very well, much. It's your turn anyway, so. There you All go. right, Vernon. Uh, I think, actually, let me see. I think that brings us to, yes, it does. It's not a question by yours truly. This is actually an opportunity for each of you to ask a question of another person in this debate. So uh, I will give you an opportunity. Uh, we'll see. Hopefully, hopefully everybody gets a chance, but you never know how many things going to target out. So each of you may ask a question of another candidate. Let's start off with Joe Jorgensen. You may ask someone a question. We will, of course, allow a time for rebuttal. So this question is for Jim Gray. In our last debate, you made the specific point that you support a negative income tax, but not a UBI. But my question is whether you call it a UBI, negative income tax, or stipend, it's still taking money away from one person and transferring it to another, which, by the way, goes against our party platform. But the question is, you would still need an income tax, whether you had a UBI or a negative income tax. So my question to you is, would you still need the IRS? Does this mean you would not abolish the IRS? Thank you for that. Life is complicated. I was in the Peace Corps. I care about people. I also still have Milton Friedman as a hero. This was Milton Friedman's idea and I subscribed to it. Yes, there would still be a tax. We need some money to the government. I don't want tariffs. I don't want to rely upon individuals and foundations to, to pay for our, our uh, judiciary. I wanna have judges that are independent. If you're paying for the judiciary, you get a lot more justice than others. So yes, there would be, but we would just, Almost close your eyes for a moment and think, if we were to be able to reduce the intrusion, the power, the, the, the bureaucracy, the fraud regarding our, our IRS by 75%,
Let's do that. That's moving the ball down the field. Then we can assess how we're going to go the rest of the way. It's an intermediary position, but also we will address the homeless issue. We'll address the issue where we have this welfare state. Imagine, Joe, being able to get rid of all of this other welfare, except for people with truly special needs. I think that is really essential. I think that's really important. And our position is that it gives people an incentive to earn the extra dollar. So I totally missing. So you can say, oh, we're not going to have any taxes, which is never going to happen. But I am saying we're going to reduce that. We're going to save hundreds of billions of dollars a year, not having to prepare these taxes, have the intrusion of the IRS and take care of our people with incentives to improve themselves. This is devoutly to be wished. And I stand on it. You betcha. Okay. Joe, do you have anything in response? You have 30 seconds if you'd like to respond to his answer. Well, I guess I would say that whenever I get a letter from the IRS, I am absolutely terrified. And hearing a libertarian say we're going to make government more efficient, we're going to make the IRS 75% more efficient or whatever, um, that just scares me too because that sounds like a Republican. And I don't want to make government more efficient. I want government gone. Then you'll have the same thing 10 years from now that we have today. That's the reason. Okay. Thank you, Bill. Uh, next question is for Jim Gray. Go ahead, Jim. Oh, thank you. I have a question of Andy Williams, if you don't mind, Andy. Um, I was a part of a small group called Open Gate International that teaches people who are felons just released from prison to become chefs involved in culinary arts. So I thought, boy, that's a great idea. And I actually introduced them to Norco State Prison to the warden. So now they're talking about putting these vocational trainings in prisons themselves. So when you're released from prison, you'll actually have a job to go to. Do you believe that this would be helpful with regard to people that are being released from prison? Um, yes, because they used to have vocational uh, in the prisons before, oh. and it'll be helpful if it's more entrepreneurial based, because I don't believe you should have, nobody should be forced forced to hire in the culinary. My wife, she's a baker. You know, we're looking in a building to do that right now. Um, part of my platform is huge on vocational skills. Uh, the Department of Corrections in Michigan has a prison bill pro program for that. Um, but I, it helped. I think the most thing that helps anybody in jail, not a jail, is just discovering who they are individually, like internal. What makes me happy? And that is, you know, the, the biggest thing is not about a job, it's about a career, fulfilling your life's purpose. And so that's that's what I think, uh, to your question, I, yes, it'll help, but it's got to be more to it. It just can't be, you got this this skill, this trade, this degree, now go get culinary. No, you might have to start your own business, which is what they should be doing. Okay. Judge, do you have anything to respond to that? 30 seconds? Just a little bit, because Open Gate International also teaches them about banking and, and having their own businesses. And by the way, fortunately, most states don't require a license to become a chef. So that, that's another problem that we're getting around. But thank you for that. Good luck. Yeah. Okay. Next, uh, at coincidentally, is Andy Williams Jr. It's amazing how these things are working out. Oh, it's biased. You, you set it up this way. Um, <laughs> So I kept hearing you say her name right, Serene. I I don't I don't know want to say the name wrong, but that's my question. Uh, <laughs> who I want to talk to? I poisoned the well. <laughs> <laughs> the program it can happen to you. I want to know what I can do to help bring that program nationally with her. That's it. That's all I want to know. I heard about the program it can happen to you. Plus, I've seen her energy aura. I'm fascinated by her. Uh, but that's what I want to know. 
Sure. Uh, I would love to introduce you to the founder as well as um, I work with an exoneree very closely, uh, Jeffrey Deskovic. He started the Jeffrey Deskovic uh, Foundation after he was exonerated. Um, the state of New York gave him $10 million and he took $3 million and invested it to help exonerate other, other innocent people. And so one of the things I've learned doing this work is unfortunately um, we need more money. <laughs> you know, um, that these people, especially innocent people that have been exonerated, shouldn't have to put the money that they've been awarded, you know, into helping others to fix the system. And so anybody that wants to get involved, you know, they can um, look me up, send me a message. You know, I'm really accessible, Serene 2020, and I'll gladly help because this is something I'm doing no matter what. Um, you know, I have a friend that's been wrongfully convicted and, and, and incarcerated for over 13 years now. And so that's how I got involved in this. And I learned a lot about prosecutor misconduct that's happening. And so I'm always um, introducing people to the people that I work with in the, in the criminal justice reform movement, because you know, the more people we have helping, the more innocent people we can help, because this isn't about you know, political parties or, or even race, this is what I've realized. It's, it's, it's a form of class discrimination is one of the things that's happening. Okay, thank you. Uh, Andy, anything to add to that? 30 seconds? Nope, other than you begin the email and message from me. <laughs> thank you. <laughs> thank All right, you. thank you. Uh, next, Jacob Hornberger, your question, please. Uh, yeah, this question is to Joe Jorgensen. Uh, Joe, I think you and I announced for this race on the same day at the South Carolina Libertarian Party convention in, in November 2nd. And since then, we've been in about the same number of debates and, and we've gone through this rigorous process. I mean, like we're going through today where we're getting challenged and we're getting scrutinized and we get moderator questions out of the clear blue. And it's, it's not as easy as it looks. But one of the things I've noticed about you during all of these debates is your, the importance that you put on an LP presidential candidate to be adhering to libertarian principles, especially as reflected in our party platform. Would you explain why that is so important to you? That's important to me because if we're not selling the Libertarian Party platform, then why are we running for office? If what we're going after is to make government more efficient, to make government kinder, to make government work more for people, then become a Republican and do it that way. Libertarians need to send the specific message that government doesn't work that freedom works, liberty works, and it's our job to show how it works. And freedom is never going to take uh, a hold if we don't explain how it works and if we don't convince people that our way is the best way. And, and I would like to add, I think that the presidential candidate is important because they're more the figurehead. Uh, if you do it right, if you run a presidential campaign right, you're going around the country, you're meeting different people, you're speaking before large groups, you're on the internet, and people associate the presidential candidate with the Libertarian Party. It's, it's almost synonymous. And so it's important that we pick somebody who does stick to our principles and yet can explain it in a way that wins over the American people. Thank you for that. Jacob, do you have anything to add to that? 30 nope. seconds? No. Nope. Okay. Uh, next up is Vermin Supreme. Vermin, your question. Uh, yes, this is a question for uh, Mr. Williams. I was just uh, hoping you could... Uh, briefly uh, touch on your experience uh, and your constituents uh, with the COVID crisis. 
touch on it and what basis? Like, wh- what are my people saying about the COVID crisis? Um, yeah, just just what you 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 uh, you're hearing in the hood and how people are feeling about the the response and uh, think things of that nature. The majority of the people in 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 the hood are followers. So they're not going to research. They're not going to read. They're going to listen to what the government is telling them, and they believe it. There's a documentary that just I saw today, Judy Mikovits or something, pandemic, that talks about the whole background about this COVID-19, where it started, how it came about. Um, so, you know, I'm, I'm not 100% in agreement with this, the pandemic, the way it's being pushed in the propaganda mainstream media. When it comes to the black people, a lot of them just don't want to eat healthy to protect their own immune system because we've been so dependent on government or dependent on some handouts. So, you know, (laughs) it's a little bump between me and them in some areas because I'm going to stand on truth and liberty based on research and science and and factual stuff. And then the, the other point to that is I've been very critical about the church dealing with this COVID-19 because they don't believe the scriptures that they be teaching on Sunday because if they did, they would be offering hope right now in this alleged crisis and not pushing fear. Hmm. So that's what's happening. Berman, do you have anything uh, to add to that or respond to Andy? Nope. Uh, thank you. I want to hear Berman Supreme's take on the COVID crisis in, for the 25 seconds left. <laughs> Well, if I was president, I would certainly make uh, COVID-19 against the law. If you were found in possession of COVID-19, you would be dealt with harshly. I'd be creating COVID-19 free zones, and that always works for sure. I would be going back in time, killing baby COVID, and, of course, I would be building a microscopic, antimicrobial, antiviral wall around this great country of ours, followed up by a moat filled with Purell sanitizer. And then once I get the shrink ray working, I'm going to shrink down the ponies really, really small, microscopic, and they will literally battle COVID-19. It's going to be epic. Thank you. Oh, got to get a little verminism in there. Um, I, our next question is going to be for Serene, but if I could ask for just a second, because I did want to follow up with a, a quick question, if you guys don't mind. We're, this basically, Serene's going to end our debate with her question. So I want to ask a quick question for Andy. Uh, you mentioned the fact that um, in the hood, or we'll say you know, in your constituency, however you want to pronounce it, um, that they are trusting of government, that they're dependent, they believe government. Do you feel like this is one of the biggest issues that we have as libertarians trying to expand uh, our base with black people and African Americans? It is. And that's and the way I'm coming around that is uh, a CD I got coming out, the hood candidate, so the messaging, the music, talking about libertarianism. And the fact that I filed lawsuits against Pritzker, Trump, my own city, and I'm showing them how to be empowered. That's what I'm doing. Like, I can say all I want to, but we have to see liberty. We have to see that. And mm-hmm. while we ever here is promises, promises, promises. So me coming with no background in quote unquote politics, but in people, I got to lead by example. So I'm showing you this is what the hood does. You come mess with us. We're going to hold you accountable in the courtroom, in the boardroom. That's my campaign. So that's what I'm doing. And it's that's what's bringing the most traction right now. Mm-hmm. That. Cool. All right. Thank you, Andy. Um, okay. Serene, would you like to give us your, uh, your question? And uh, then we'll bring it up to a close. Sure. So my question is more of a request for Vermin. Vermin, I would like you to paint me a picture of your ideal world. Right now? <laughs> With your words. <laughs> oh. Well, 
Uh, I think it would be uh, a much, uh, much simpler times. Um, it would be uh, much more decentralized. A, a post-state society would uh, uh, consist of uh, voluntary uh, groupings of people who uh, have seen, who see a need or uh, a, a lifestyle that they want to participate in or want to join or uh, any number of factors, but uh, people living peacefully in, uh, in harmony uh, without the uh, violence implied by the existence of the state uh, forcing to people. I think it would be just, uh, I guess it's a, a beautiful place and we all have ponies. <laughs> Thank you. Can I have a unicorn? Absolutely. There, there are conversion kits available. Um, it's, it's pretty much just a nice cone with tinfoil and some duct tape, but it'll work. Perfect. Thank you. I was not aware we could make requests about our specific type of pony. That, that really oh, yeah. yeah. Collars, flavors, a uh, number of legs, all those things. Uh, they, they, they're totally up to, up to you. All right. Uh, it is now time to move on to our closing statements. It's time to drive this thing home. You are currently speaking and thankfully live now that we got the stream working. You're currently speaking live and in the future to many, many thousands of libertarians, many of whom are delegates to the national convention, even though, as we were discussing before we went on air, no one still really knows how that's going to take place, how this is going to be decided. Um, but you are currently speaking to many, many delegates. So please give your closing statement uh, for a minute and a half, 90 seconds, uh, on why you should be the Libertarian candidates, president, the Libertarian parties, excuse me, presidential nominee in 2020. We will begin with Judge Jim Gray. Well, thank you. Thanks for the opportunity, Brian and, and Mark. I believe in libertarian principles, and I believe in getting first downs and approaching them and getting to them from the real world. I wrote a book, excuse me, a, a column recently. In fact, for the last four years, I've written a blog every every week called Two Paragraphs for Liberty. And the one I wrote for last Monday, which is being posted up on our, on our website, grayshark2020.com, is called Government Cannot Centrally Plan. Get the government out of the economy. People are talking about, oh, how should the government open up the economy again? The answer is it's done by the private sector. So I would say to you, look, we're libertarians. Let's get government out of your bedroom. Let's get government out of your wallet. Let's get government out of your business. In fact, let's get government out of your way. Now, that's what we're trying to do. But you can't just do it like a brick through a window. Like we said earlier, you'll scare people. It just doesn't work. With my background, I listen to people. I was a judge. I will be able to listen to evidence, be able to appraise it, consider it, rule, make a decision, and then, of course, explain it. We work well with people. We'll work well with Congress. We'll work well with, uh, with other countries. We have lots of problems. Let's tr address our children. Social Security, come on. No one is going to say we're going to abolish Social Security for those people that were forced to put money into it for the last 20 or 40 years. What I would do is privatize it now, require people to have their own 401k programs, maybe even allow, probably allow people for the last 10 years that have been submitting into Social Security involuntarily to be able to be purchased out of it. And then, yes, sell some assets to be able to end the system. But the first rule when you're digging a hole for yourself is to stop digging. So let's privatize the Social Security now so people would be able to have a nest egg at the end of this. There are lots of things we can do. Larry Sharp, Judge Jim Gray, we're going to accomplish them. We're going to change the culture of our country to understand what libertarian approaches would do. I have a podcast called all rise the libertarian way with Judge Jim Gray. I'm trying to do that. I've interviewed numbers of you. Thank you for being involved. 
Let's do this together. Whoever the nominee is, I will support and I will hope to do the best for everyone. I will promise you once again, we will do you proud one way or the other. Thank you. Thanks, Judge Gray. Uh, I'm not sure if the bell is fully coming through, but I don't I'm think it's little, going through. I, it, yeah. I'm being, I'm being let leaning ask, here in the. Let me get another. Let me get a new let bell. Vermin Supreme. Do you know what you get when you cross an elephant and a rhinoceros? Best plan words I've ever heard. When you cross an elephant and a rhinoceros, the answer is, elephino. Ah! <laughs> All right, uh, Andy Williams. It's time for your closing statement, my good man. Oh, I think you gotta you gotta Hold on you're Andy. muted, Andy. Oh, there we go. I'm muted yep. now. I'm muted now. Andy followed the mute the mute suggestion even better than intended. <clears throat> Thanks. <laughs> so um I'm happy to be representing the Libertarian Party. I'm happy to be standing up for what I believe in. And freedom is something that we're born with, something that we re represent, and we've been so busy defending freedom defending liberty, we haven't represented liberty. That's what I'm bringing to the table. As I said in the previous opening statement, AWJ 2020, the hood candidate for president, it's a movement. It's not just a campaign. It doesn't end November 3rd. It doesn't end November 4th. It is going on and on. So this is the movement that we put out for the next generations and generations to come. Because as much as we can promise what we're going to do, so many of these promises fall after people are not elected. I have been injected with libertarian in my bones now <laughs> that I live it, I eat it, I breathe it every day. I could go around telling everybody this is what liberty look is, or I could show people what liberty is. We only get stuff by example. You look at Jay-Z, because this is from the hip hop, he came from the hood to sit at the table with Warren Buffett, Michael Bloomberg. This is a hood candidate. Like, he's the hood. That's what I'm bringing to this Libertarian Party. And I guarantee you, hip-hop going to rock with us from P. Diddy to Malcolm X's daughter to, to Dr. King's daughter, Bernice. Like, everything they're saying, that's what I've become. And so now I want to spread that. Spread the good news. Libertarian is here, and we're not going to lose. Thank you. <laughs> Thanks a lot, Andy. We now move on to the closing statement from Mr. Vermin Supreme. Um, yes, I would just like to uh, ask anyone who is uh, not familiar with uh, the bona fides of my 30-year uh, uh, activism uh, against state and authority to please uh, watch Who is Vermin Supreme? It is a feature-length documentary available on Vimeo. Um, I believe that I've uh, achieved a communication strategy and a, certain, a level of success that has allowed me to reach a lot of kids. And kids are naturally anti-authoritarian. Kids are naturally non-conformist. They want to know why things are the way they are, and they want to change the world. And that is what we libertarians have in common with kids, and that is what I have in common with kids and libertarians. And as the voice of a new generation, which I am, which is weird because it's not my generation, I have been doing my best to spread the words of mutual aid, volunteerism, and charity, love, and empathy, and liberty. And these are the only things that have been getting us through this current crisis. It certainly hasn't been the federal government. It is people helping people. It is neighbors helping neighbors, making stronger families, stronger communities. And that totally equals the need for less government. So let us not go back to the way it was. Let us not let ourselves go back to the way we were. Let us heal. Let us work together. 
Let us look to the future. Let us make a better world now together. We do not have to go back to the old world. Disruption leads to innovation and change. Innovate now. Change now. Disrupt now. Let us no longer carry the things that do not serve us while we have this unprecedented moment in time. Thank you. I'm Vermin Supreme. Thank you, Mr. Supreme. Moving along, we will get a closing statement now from Serene Ardiliano. I based my platform on love, logic, and liberty for all after spending a weekend with libertarians at the California State Convention. And I did that because I realized that this is the party of love, logic, and liberty, and I had felt at home. And I realized that this is what the world needs, is love, logic, and liberty. And so I mentioned this because, as I mentioned earlier, I've been preparing for 10 years, and what I've been doing in part of my preparation is learning how to truly love, not just myself, but all other beings, learning how to be reasonable, how to reason correctly and fully, and understanding how freedom works and what real freedom is. You know, as Andy mentioned earlier, it starts in the mind and you can't give somebody freedom who isn't willing to do the work. Well, I've gone from surviving, barely surviving, to infinitely thriving, and I can teach this to others as president, which is what our country needs. This is what our people need. They need somebody who will lead by example, who has been there, who has done that. I am a serial entrepreneur. I co-owned a nightclub in San Francisco. I co-owned an art gallery in San Francisco. I've accomplished many things. I write for the Huffington Post. Rather, I've published with them before. I write for Thrive Global. I've gotten public support from famous people, and I've worked with various state legislators in the past. And so I believe I can bring a lot of people into this party, and I already am, that are not libertarian, that aren't even involved in politics. I'm waking people up right now. And so that's why I believe that I should be chosen, because I believe I can help us transition from where we are today to where we want to go as gently and gracefully as possible. Thank you very much, Serene. Moving on, we'll get a closing statement now from Ms. Jo Jorgensen. So I'd first like to make an announcement that if we can get our technology working, I'm supposed to be on a podcast immediately following the debate. And we're hoping that people can come to my either website or Facebook and ask questions. Because sometimes when you watch a debate, you might wonder, well, why did you say that? Or what did you mean by that? So I would like to invite people to, well, first of all, you should come to my website anyway, which is joj2020.com to learn more about my campaign and to help us out. I'd like to stress that when I became a libertarian back in the late 70s, early 80s, and I was just so excited about freedom, um, I, I uh, couldn't wait to tell everybody freedom is great and we can keep our money and we put our, you know, we, we all can help each other. And the reaction I got was one that I was not expecting, which is people were saying, wow, you're selfish or you don't <laughs> care about the poor or, um, the, you know, my favorite, which is, well, you know, not everybody's as smart as you are. You can't get rid of Social Security because other people aren't as smart as you are to save. So that's when I learned that I, um, I have to explain the benefits, not just the features. 
We can't just go around saying it's our money and here's our platform. What we have to do is we have to go to the American people and say, you have problems. You know, the healthcare system is a disaster. Uh, we've got people all around the world where, where we're the world's policemen. Here are the solutions that the Libertarian Party can offer, and they're compassionate, and they work, and they're the best thing out there. Again, please go to joj2020.com, or you can go to my Facebook. Thank you. Thank you, Joe. And lastly, we will wrap things up with a closing statement from Jacob Hornberger. One of the good founding principles of this country that lasted more than 100 years was no income tax, no IRS. So for those who suggest that you can't have that society flies in the face of American history. People kept everything they earned and decided for themselves what to do with it. And it resulted in not only the most prosperous nation in history, it was the most charitable nation in history on a purely voluntary basis. We need to do a lot of soul searching in this party. What are we about? What is the non-aggression principle about? What does it mean to be the party of principle? If we're going to go down the road of, of accepting the inevitability and the permanence of this welfare warfare state way of life, which I talked about in the beginning, like Republicans have, Republicans threw in the towel after their icon, Barry Goldwater, got smashed by Lyndon Johnson in, in the 64 election. They said, throw in the towel. Liberty can never happen. We're just going to have to accept the inevitability of Social Security, Medicare, Medicaid, and the whole socialist welfare state. That mindset has been brought into the party and it has poisoned our principles and it has poisoned our faith in freedom. If I, there was a button here and I lived in 1850 America, I would push it immediately to end slavery. I am an abolitionist when it comes to wrongdoing. Any system that forces people to be good and caring is a crooked, corrupt, immoral system. We as libertarians have to lead America out of this morass. And the way we lead is by showing faith in freedom, faith in younger people, not faith in the coercive apparatus of a brutal, tyrannical system headed by the IRS. All right. Well, thank you very much, Mr. Hornberger. Uh, I really want to just thank all of you once again for uh, for coming together for this. Uh, I know there's a lot of you know, scheduling changes and uh, everyone was really, really great working with me and uh, working through streaming problems, working through the bell, all of that stuff. I really appreciate all of you uh, being here today. Thank you very much, Brian. And any last words, any, any, anything you uh, want to do other than perhaps pronounce uh, Ms. Deliano's name correctly? I, why, why go off on a bad note? But yes, I, well, I want to say again, yeah, thank you, everybody. I thought this was a fantastic event. Uh, and also, I do want to remind everybody that's watching the live stream now that we had a technical issue. Serene and Andy had opening statements. Please watch them. You can go back in the stream and watch them. We're going to republish this on YouTube. We're going to publish well, you it. You can't on go back in the live stream that wasn't live yet. So, but, but well, that's true. But once it's published and we finish it, you yeah. can go and watch it. Uh, and yes, this is the podcast. So apologies to both of you. But yes, thank you, everybody. I think the, uh, the party would be lucky to have any of you as its candidate. And we'll see what shakes out. All right. Thank you very much, everybody. Best of luck. And uh, until, until next time, keep up the great work. Keep on roaring. Roar!